Amen. Amen. <clears throat> this morning, uh, we're on, I think, part three of our uh, Dwelling with Philippians series. And we are looking at Philippians chapter two, or chapter uh, two, excuse me, verses one to four this morning. So if you want to pull out your pew Bibles and follow along, or whether you just want to uh, read from the screen or close your eyes and listen, uh, whatever works for you is good. Uh, but before we, before we get to the scripture reading, I want to ask you a question. Uh, and, and that is, do you ever argue with yourself? Do you ever, I hear, oh yeah, <laughs> David's raising, amen, yes, hallelujah, uh, yeah, argue with yourself. All right, keep that in mind because it's going to be uh, important a little bit later on. Listen to what Paul says to the, <coughs> to the people of Philippi and to us and what God says to us through him as well. If, Paul says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. The word of the Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this passage is, a, is, a, is an encouraging one, but also a difficult one in a number of ways. Especially today, it, it feels like some of the things that Paul is asking of us, some of the things that God is asking of us through Paul's words here are, are really impossible. If you look around at the church today, not just in our own denomination, but all over North America, all over the Western world, all over the world in general, is the thing that you think of one mind. All living in accord, right? Is that what you think of? Because in, in some ways, if it is, I'd like to pop your bubble a little bit. Because, because that's just not the way it looks, right? If, when I was in seminary, I, I think I maybe shared this with you before. When I was in seminary, we, 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 did, we did a family tree of just the Reformed churches in, in North America and in Europe. And it was almost obscene. Almost obscene how many branches of the Reformed church there are. There's the Canadian Reformed Church. There's the Christian Reformed Church. There's the Reformed Church of America. There's the Netherlands Reformed Church. There's the... Uh, uniting Reformed Church, somewhat ironically named in my opinion. There, is, uh, there are so many Reformed churches, so more than you can shake a stick at. It, it's, and why? Why? Right? Do, you, do any of you remember why the CRC exists? We, we love to argue. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. Back in... Back in 1857, a number of 
Dutch immigrants came to the Michigan-Iowa area. And uh, they were welcomed with open arms by the Reformed Church of America, which also had its roots in the Netherlands. Uh, the Reformed Church of America said, Welcome, brothers and sisters! Yay! And then, <laughs> and then, whether it's because somebody wanted power, or whether it's because they genuinely believed this was a big issue, the, the new immigrants said, Uh, yeah, no. Thank you, but no. You guys, you sing hymns. Mm -mm -mm. It should be only the songs. And so, we're not going to play nice with you. We're going to be our own separate denomination. And the Christian Reformed Church was born. Right? Hooray. And we split about things like that. And so looking at this, looking at what Paul says, being, <laughs> making his joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. That's supposed to be accord, not accord. Uh, and of one mind, right? Yeah, no. It doesn't feel like that's true at all. Right? When Jesus prays, when Jesus prays that, that we would be one just as He and the Father are one, where is that prayer? Where is that unity? Where is it? And, and yet, at the same time, at the same time, some of the issues that we face feel so important. They feel so critical. And maybe they even are. Where do you draw the line? When is an issue so critical that we have to part ways over that issue? And when is it not? Did I tell you about infra and superlapsarianism? <laughs> I guess not. Maybe some of you remember. Okay, so there was a debate in the Christian Reformed Church about infra versus supralapsarianism. And if you don't know what that is, that's okay. Almost nobody knows what that is. But basically, it is a debate about when exactly in the salvation process God acts and when exactly human beings act. And, and this goes to the heart of the doctrine of predestination and free will, right? When is it you making a decision and when is it God prompting you? When is what? And nailing down exactly when God does what and when we do what was really, really important for the people in the CRC for a good chunk of time. And they had fights about it. A lot of fights about it. You know, we, we also fought about... Oh, get this. We also fought about whether or not adoption was okay and whether or not people, children who were adopted were part of the covenant family of God. Okay? In the 1920s, we had this debate. We argued about this. And some people said, well, no, they weren't born to a believing family, so they're clearly not part of the covenant family of God. And other people said, what? Are you smoking dope? They didn't actually say that. They didn't really say that then. But they said, what, what is wrong with you? Christ adopted us. We have been adopted into God's family by Jesus. How could we not be totally okay with the adoption of children? 
Now, thankfully, our denomination eventually said, oh, yeah, that, that's right. Adoption is great and wonderful. And of course, those children are part of the covenant family of God. Right? But how do you know when an issue is important? For, for Gwyneth's parents' church for a little while, thankfully it has been fixed now, it was in their constitution that in order to be a member of their church, not only did you have to, have to be baptized as an infant, but you also had to believe, or as an adult, sorry, it's Baptist church, sorry, as a believer, I should say, a believer, by immersion, yeah, sprinkling is no good. If, not only is that true, but you had to believe in six 24-hour-a-day young earth creationism. So if you believe that God created the world in six eons that were as if they were a day uh, or six days, not good enough. You have to believe that the world is approximately 6,000 years old, that God created in six 24-hour periods, and that's what you have to believe in order to be a member of this church. And for them, at that time, that felt important enough that it was about the fidelity to Scripture. It was about what do you believe about Scripture. It's about the fundamental nature of Scripture. How reliable and trustworthy it is. How literal it is. And so on. And, and so that was part of their constitution. Now it is, it is changed now. And they, they have room for people to believe that, that God created the world in six eons or, or whatever. These are the debates we have. So is what Paul says here impossible? Is it just a pipe dream? Is it something that has been shattered so terribly that it is unrecoverable? I don't think so. I don't believe so. It's not. We do need to do some work especially today, we've talked about this a number of times, especially today, people are so polarized on stuff. Right? It's not only, it's not only the case that people feel like they, they, these issues are really, really important, whatever they are, whether they're political or whether they're theological or whether they're societal, whatever the issues are, they feel like they're really important. But not only do we feel like they're really important, it feels like society in general is telling us that you must pick a side, and when you pick a side, you, you must not be with the other people, because they're bad, right? You, you, you can't... <laughs> Barack Obama, for example, was a, an adult a convert to Christianity. He often spoke about his faith, his, his faith and love for Jesus, um, and, and could speak knowingly and well about that. But yet a lot of evangelical Christians vilified him as being terrible in so many ways. And, and this has happened not only with Barack Obama, but but people on the, the liberal end of things, the more, um, the more left-leaning of end of things, vilify um, people like George W. Bush or, or George Sr. or um, 
Ronald Reagan or whoever you may pick, right? They're the enemy. <laughs> and so society tells us to pick a side and to block out everybody else. And so if we're going to do this, if we're going to do what Paul asks us to do, we've got some work to do. We've got to fight against the flow. Let's go to the next slide. In Christ, from love, in the Spirit. This is from that part of the passage where, where Paul says, if there is any consolation from love, um, or sorry, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, right? If any of those things are true, Paul says, if any of those things are true, make my joy complete by being one in the Spirit, by being one of one mind, in accord, right? Are any of those things true for here, for Athens Christian Reformed Church? Christian says no. I think, I think, I th- nice, good for you, right? I, I think, thankfully, that there are some things that are true here, right? We are in Christ, right? We have consolation from being in Christ. We we have consolation from love, I should say. We have encouragement from being in Christ together. We have have sharing in the Spirit. We have that here. Those are all gifts that Christ has poured out upon us. So we look at the list and we say, "Ah, check, check, check. Yes, those are all true. Right? In Romans 12, verse 5, Paul says, We who are many are one body in Christ, and individually are we are members of one another. Right? If, if all those things, check, 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 are true, then we are one body. All of us are one body. We are, we are individually members of one another. Do you want to hear something cool that I learned this week? It's a little bit of a tangent, but it's really cool. Right? In, in the Gospel of John, in the beginning of John, when John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? Remember that? Right? That word with is, I, I, I didn't realize this. This is a beautiful word. This is a word that doesn't just mean sort of side by side. It, it means with facing one another. You know, you know in the in the movies when, when there's that that great I'm a I'm a romantic, right? When there's that great moment when the hero and the heroine are, are falling in love and they're they're like inches from each other's face and you know they're gonna smooch, right? And you're like, yes, right? Because that's how I am, right? So right that is such an intimate moment to be that close to one another, to be in one another's space in that way. This is the width, I mean, leaving aside the romantic bit, this is the width of a deep, deep intimacy that John is talking about here. And and it is also what Paul is really getting at here. We who are many are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members of one another. We are with each other. 
whether we feel like it or not, we are with one another in a similar way to how Christ, the Son of God, is with his Father. Look at this um, beautiful sculpture called Community um, and by Joseph O'Connell in 1985. Notice like how they are there being sympathetic with one another as it looks as if someone is passing away. They are together with one another. But notice also how every part of the community of believers there together flows into one another. Right? They're not separate beings. They don't have those lines that, that divide them from one another, but rather their robes flow into the table upon which the person is and they all flow into one another with their hands and their arms around each other. They are community. They are one. Beautiful. Next slide. We are called to be Right? This is, this is, Paul moves on and he, he says, we are called to be, <laughs> being a same mind, right? Being, being, being together. This poem from uh, James G. Johnson says, uh, called to be servants, called to be sons, called to be daughters. We are called to be one called into service, called to be free. You are called to be you, and I'm called to be me. And this photo, this photo is, uh, is the return of Martin Luther King uh, after he had received the Nobel Peace Prize. He returned to Baltimore in 1963. And I don't know how well you can see it, but the, the community over the back of the car they're, they're holding hands together in community, in unity, in love. We are called to be one. Next slide. Paul says, make my joy complete. I love this painting by John August Swanson. Notice there is, there is a group of believers standing around in a circle holding candles. They are dwelling together in one place at one time. And they are celebrating together with the lyre and, and, and the instrument, not the person. Um, and they are uh, worshiping together. It is a beautiful and colorful and joyful painting. Come, celebrate the journey begun so long ago. A church capital C, uh, the church universal, the church as Christ sees it, the church, the bride of Christ, a church formed by the spirit, God's love and peace to show was faithfully assembled together in one place to worship, work and witness united in God's grace. Notice that so far in this, we are not hearing the word uniform. We are hearing the word united. Those are different things. Uniforms are what? All the same. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless they're showing status of rank. But the basis is all the same, right? If you're working at Subway and you're wearing the Subway uniform, you're looking the same as the person next to you, right? Uh, uh, you know, this is, this is what uniforms are. 
no, no, that's not what this is. That's not what we're called to, to be, right? We're called to be, I'm called to be me. You're called to be you. We are called to be united, but not uniform. We are not all eyeballs. We are not all ears. We are not all feet. We are not all brains. We are not all whatever. We are all individuals united together. Next slide. Psalm 133 says this, <laughs> and it's so true, but sadly it feels so rare. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now, these may be similes that we're not super familiar with. I don't know how often you get oil poured on your head so that it flows down into your beard and onto the collar of your robe. Anybody recently? It's not an experience that happens too often for me. However, for the people of Israel, of course, anointing with oil. And, you know, for us as Christ followers, too, it can be this way. This is a, this is a common biblical practice the anointing of the head with oil is something that symbolizes blessing and, and, and just love pouring out. Not just any oil, not crude oil for sure, but like beautiful olive oil perfumed and, and, and rich. A blessing that overflows onto the priest Aaron. This is what unity among the people of God is. It's to the, the priest or the pastor like the blessing of oil flowing over their head and onto their beard and collar. The blessing of God. Unity among the people. The dew of Mount Hermon, right? Um, this is, Mount Zion tended to be a, a pretty arid place. It still, it still is a pretty arid place. But Mount Hermon, uh, was more fertile and, and, and rich and the dews of Mount Hermon refreshed the land and so on and, and so it's as if those refreshing waters land on the heads of the people of Jerusalem. Next slide. Paul goes on and says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. I wonder how often we do that. I mean, the Bible, it feels like a contrasting message because Jesus also teaches us that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, right? And that everyone ought to have a sober understanding of their gifts and so on, right? But this is... This is in line with what Jesus taught in his actions of washing the disciples' feet. This is, a, this is a modern take, like putting Jesus into a modern setting where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. It's a painting by Dinah Rowe Kendall in 1996. And you see the, the crowd of disciples, and, and notice, notice how how they are looking upon what Jesus is doing with awe and wonder. They are astounded. 
that Jesus, their teacher, their rabbi, the one whom they believe to be the Messiah, the one who is the Son of God, is washing people's feet. They even have their mouths open in shock. Because it's not the way of the world. It's not the way of the world. The powerful take power. The powerful lord it over other people. And, and it's the temptation in the church. I can, I can out-theology you, so you better listen to me. I can, I can out-argue you. I can, I can point to statistics. I can, I, I'm more faithful than you are. I'm more holy than you are. I mean, we don't say those things necessarily, but we sure act like it sometimes. Let me ask you this. If you had an argument with somebody over infra versus superlapsarianism, just saying, right? You had an argument about that, you're, you're, or you disagreed about that. You had different positions on that. If you were truly treating others as if they were better than yourselves, what would that discussion look like? Right? I, I'm pretty sure I can't get on my high horse and argue somebody into something if I am treating them better than myself. That doesn't mean we can't talk about it, but it sure means that if both of us are treating the other as if they were better than ourselves, we are going to take time to genuinely listen to one another. Because that's what people do do when they love one another or when they're trying to serve one another. And we're really going to digest what they say and not just be thinking in our heads what the next argument's going to be first. And we're really going to be patient with them because, after all, I am not better than them. I can learn from them. I know it may be shocking to think that you could learn from Ed but you can. Right, Ed? <laughs> I don't know. You totally can. Right? Now to him, this is Ephesians 3, verse 20 to 21. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we could ask or imagine to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, this is why it's not impossible for us to be united. It's not impossible for the church to be united. Even though we are broken and dispersed and it looks to all the world like we are a divided house, a house divided against itself, the our world belongs to God. Our contemporary testimony talks about how though there are divisions and schisms and we are rent asunder, there are still surprising evidences of the unity of the church. And it is true. We do things to spread the gospel by, by word and by deed in all kinds of places together with other believers, even those with whom we have vast theological differences. We work with 
Catholics and Mennonites. We work with Pentecostals and Baptists. We work with all kinds of people all over the world to share the gospel. If you talk with people who work at, at Whitcliffe, right? They don't, they don't say, oh, I'm sorry, you're Baptist. You can't be part of this, right? They say, you love Jesus. Let's work together, right? You're part of, rec, you know, Red Cross, uh, or you're part of World Renew, and we're working in a disaster area. You're part of Red Crescent, Red Cross. You're, you're part of uh, World Vision. Doesn't matter. Let's work together and help these people. See, he is able to do abundantly, another translation says immeasurably, more than all we can ask or imagine. So, brothers and sisters, that is true here too. And, and I got to tell you, that the testing of your unity, again, is coming. It's coming. The agenda for Synod this year, it is 625-ish pages, I think. More than half of those pages are overtures. More than 300 pages are overtures. And, and many of those overtures are relating to human sexuality. Some of them wanting the denomination to affirm what they decided in 2022 and go even further. Some of them wanting to reverse the decision of Synod 2022 with regards to human sexuality. And some of them wanting something completely different. But then it goes beyond that too. Some of them are overturing a synod to change the way that it disciplines or looks at other congregations or people. They, they want to make it so that they can, they can, synod can kick a minister or a church out of the denomination just by their own decision. And up till now, that has not been a possibility. They want to be able to enforce what synod has decided one way or another. And others are trying to say there's, a, there's an overture in there that's saying that synod, should, synod and our denominational staff should never, ever, ever make any kind of statement on any kind of political, social, or justice-related issue. Right? There is deep division within our denomination. And, and maybe, it's not, maybe it's not being felt super lots here right at this moment, but it's coming. The test of your unity is coming. And, and even if, heaven forbid, but even if you all together decide that there is an issue big enough and significant enough to part ways from each other then please listen to this. If you must do so, remember to treat the other with respect and love and humility. Do not pretend to yourself that they are not Christian. If we disagree about infra versus supralapsarianism, I'm not going to say to you, oh, you're not a Christian. 
don't fool yourselves into thinking that these people, whomever you disagree with, don't love Jesus, don't honor the Bible, don't take the Word of God seriously. Don't do that. And if you must part ways from one another, do so blessing each other. Right? We love you. We disagree on this. It is significant. And we all agree it is significant. And so we must part ways. But we do so in love. With blessing. We will pray for you. Please pray for us. I know that's weird. It's weird. It's, it's, I'm pretty sure. And you can testify better than I can. It's not the way it happened before when splits happened here. But it doesn't have to be that way. Ideally, brothers and sisters, in, and this is my opinion, ideally, in my opinion, we would leave a lot of room for each other. The big things we would hold to. Jesus is the Son of God. The only way to salvation is through Jesus. The scriptures are the word of God, right? We honor them as authoritative and uh, infallible. We, 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 we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, we believe that Jesus is the incarnation, God with us. These kinds of things we hold to. And then there, my preference would be there's a lot of room for other stuff that doesn't conflict with those things. That's my opinion. That's not necessarily what God is saying to us this morning. What God is saying to us this morning is that that unity, not uniformity, that unity is important. Really important. And it is also possible, even in the climate of disunity that we face in our world today, it is possible through the God who can give us abundantly more than all we can ask or imagine. It is possible through the God who has given us love and Christ Jesus and the Spirit to dwell among us. It is possible because, because Paul tells us, please do it. Make my joy complete. Brothers and sisters, this is how, this is how others will know that we are Christians. Right? What's the song? It goes, they will know we are Christians by our love. And the scripture passage says, by our love one for another. By our love for each other. Let's pray. God in heaven, we recognize that you have made all of us unique. That each and every one of us has gifts and abilities. We have strengths and weaknesses. We need each other. We are better together. We know that we were called to be the body of Christ, both universally, the, the church that you see from heaven in all times and all places, but also in this place, in this time, as Athens Christian Reformed Church. We know that you have called us together. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to work, to 
towards unity, being one mind, being one accord, being together in spirit. And and Lord, you know, you know that that doesn't necessarily mean we always agree on everything. That we we argue with ourselves sometimes just as we, we argue with with our own, within our own minds, we argue with each other too, like that. And, and that's okay. Lord, help us to do so in humility and love, treating others as better than ourselves. May we serve one another just as Jesus you modeled in washing the disciples' feet. May we resist the urge to polarization and disunity, and division so prevalent today. And may we do so not because we don't care about the important things, but because we know in humility that we do not have all the answers and that we together serve you. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.